Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a new Wonder Media Network show that I'm so excited about. Do mediums really see dead people? Can our solar system determine a person's luck? Can Satanism be feminist? On Beyond Belief, host Jericho Mandiber offers spiritually curious listeners a safe space to question and to consider the ideas, theories, and practices of some of the world's leading non-traditional spiritual thinkers. Jericho takes listeners on a journey to learn how society's so-called weirdos believe, and we discover maybe they're not so weird after all, featuring topics like satanic feminism and dolphin communication. Beyond Belief gives listeners an opportunity to suspend skepticism and embrace the spiritual. So check out and subscribe to Beyond Belief wherever you listen. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Welcome to the very first episode of Beyond Belief. I'm your host, Jericho Mandiber. I'm an author, a writer, I'm something of a woo-woo expert, and I'm dedicated to serving people of all spiritual backgrounds, or none. Today, we're going to be diving deep into the fiery pits of hell to explore Satanism, and specifically, Satanism as a feminist belief system. But first, let me just thank you so much for being here, whoever you are. Maybe you're listening in because you're a spiritual seeker. Maybe you're listening in because you're a staunch atheist who's nevertheless fascinated with the marginal spiritual beliefs out in the world today. Well, hold on to your britches because this podcast is for you. Yes, I mean all of you. Like politics, religion and spirituality seems to be increasingly dividing people into more and more disparate groups. And my goal with this show is to create not another echo chamber where we all reify what we already believe, quite the opposite. Instead, it's a space to question, to doubt, to learn, and to hear from people that we might never get to speak to in our everyday lives. And ultimately, I want to contemplate our existence and the ways both limiting and empowering, that we create meaning and purpose in our small time on earth. The ways in which we exercise faith and how each of us chooses to answer that primal call to believe. That's the kind of conversation I think we should be having right now. One that's honest, critical, hopeful, and above all, just playfully curious when it comes to spirituality. We spend all day with our head in the material, but admit it, Your heart wants you to contemplate the theological, the metaphysical, even the spooky. And even if it's only to confirm that it's not for you. 
The subjects I explore with guests on this show are going to be zany or extreme to some, but they'll resonate with others. And I think we can all agree, given that the unquestioning belief in God is dropping hugely among young people from 83% in 2008 to 66% in 2014, according to the National Science Foundation, that what we're really talking about is the future of self-determined belief systems and how we engage all seekers and their ideas will determine that future's shape. So, are you ready? This is Beyond Belief. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Satan, Satanists, Satanism. Most people will feel a little awkward or straight up scared when they think about the one they call the Dark Lord. After all, we've all grown up hearing the stories. He's evil incarnate, he's a lustful supernatural being who looks like a man but has the hooves and horns of a goat. And he wants your soul. And he wants to poke you with his pitchfork. But the devil we think of isn't really mentioned in religious scripture. That would be Lucifer, the light bearer. He was the highest angel and he decided he knew better than God, so him and his mates were kicked out of heaven. Meanwhile, in Greek mythology, we have Pan, god of the mountain wild, who was associated with sex and fertility as well as nature. He was lustful, and he hung out with nymphs, and that was largely seen as awesome. But when early Christianity began to spread, those spreading it didn't appreciate a god who loved fornicating with free women and running wild, so they began to project the attributes that they considered sinful onto this figure. You could say that these early Christian men feared the animalistic nature in themselves and especially in women who had no place exercising spiritual power, let alone freedom. By the time Dante's Inferno was written in the Middle Ages, nobody seemed to mind that the archetypes of Pan and Satan had become irreparably fused. And nobody bore the consequences of that conflation like women and other minorities. As witches, as women of colour, they were accused of being dangerously and inherently close to nature and of conspiring and fornicating with the devil. Of course, many still are to this day. And ever since Anthony LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible in 1969, Satanic individuals and groups have been active in the public sphere, none more so recently than the Satanic Temple, whose activism includes fighting for reproductive justice and abortion rights using the same laws set up to protect other religious groups. Which brings us to the question, is Satanism feminist? Is it only fair that after centuries of dogmatic patriarchy and persecution that women reclaim their supposed close affiliation with the devil? It feels very punk rock. But can you legitimately worship a being who's largely metaphorical? and whose historical construction is so obvious? And what does it bring to the lives of the feminists who do that? I thought I'd speak to somebody who knows a lot more about what I'm talking about than I do. Jex Blackmore is a performance artist, an activist, and an active Satanist whose work advocates for reproductive healthcare and dissects moral, religious rhetoric, sexuality, and political policy. As you can imagine, she's garnered a world of negative attention from the religious right, 
and she even broke away from the satanic temple themselves after they deemed her too extreme a spokesperson. It seems that even among Satanists, there's a boys club. Jex Blackmore, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, this is wonderful. I'm really happy that you reached out. So, okay, let's just start at the beginning with some basics. Can you share your personal definition of Satanism? So there's many different interpretations of Satanism. There is a theistic version that believes in a supernatural devil, and there's a non-theistic viewpoint of Satanism, which is the path that I follow. And it is that Satan is a, is a metaphor and a figure representing personal liberation from oppressive cultural and social and moral tyranny and the recognition of one's full breath of humanity and our natural inclination towards rebellion against oppressive norms. Mm, yeah. So as a non-theistic Satanist, would you say that it's a philosophical practice or a spiritual practice or a bit of both? Yeah, I think that Satanism is certainly a, has a, a, an element of being a philosophical belief and spiritual belief. I, I also do believe that non-theistic Satanism is a form of religion. You know, we typically view religion as, as conforming to somewhat of the, the major normative religions that we come across, so having a supernatural element. But there are other non-theistic religions that exist in, in Buddhism and Hinduism, and Satanism is similar in that way, in that we have a defining set of values, we have a ritual practice, we have a shared aesthetic, a community, but minus a supernatural God. So it is very much a religious belief in that it helps inform our worldview, but we don't practice a supernatural belief in an actual devil or, or God. Mm, yeah, totally. I think the parallel with Buddhism is is really strong there. And I haven't actually heard that articulated. So that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, we live in a country with a puritanical Christian past and very much present where people hear the term Satanism and they probably have all sorts of baggage and misconceptions attached to that term. What are like some myths about Satanism that you just would like to quickly bust right now? Well, from the religious viewpoint, people still hold a belief that Satanists are, are evil, are practicing, you know, child sacrifice and and that we are morally bankrupt. And that's something that I hear all the time in, in emails that I receive or, or people that I come across in public action. So from a religious viewpoint, I think that that is false, obviously, uh, but that is still something that is promoted by the church and religious leaders or political leaders who identify as as traditionally Catholic or Christian. Uh, but then also there is a, another a viewpoint that Satanists are just trolls and that we're not serious and that our practice is merely an attempt to kind of rile up the religious right, which I think is also inaccurate. The religious rights kind of obsession with, you know, satanic activists or, or leaders today, I think is very much a result of their own theocratic crisis and uh, we very much are just trying to exist as we are and, and advocate for ourselves. So the fact that we are a troll or that we are evil, I think, are, are two of the biggest misconceptions. Totally. I mean, the evil one is is still so prevalent, but the troll one, I think, especially amongst like younger people who are more internet savvy, that's probably also one that's just only increasing over time where we see certain demonstrations or actions taking place and people will say, oh, they're just trolling. And that that's kind of the end of the conversation. Sometimes it can be used to dismiss. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a perception that you know, because Satanism seems absurd almost, and, and that it's in part because it's informed by pop culture 
and depictions of the devil in, in movies and in music as being somewhat of a caricature. But I think that it's important to recognize that the devil is still a powerful motivator in, in getting people to conform to particular moral values as promoted by the church. And you saw this in the last presidential election cycle where there is multiple headlines about how Hillary Clinton is is the devil or socialism is a pathway to evil or, you know, that feminists and abortion, of course, is something that is considered evil or under the devil's influence. And so I think that we can't discount the actual real power that the devil still has in our society. And I think that that is something that deserves to be taken seriously because it has very serious ramifications. And talking about the principles of feminism as it relates to Satanism, why would you say that Satanism is feminist? And what does it mean to you, you know, as a feminist, if I can be so presumptuous, to also be a Satanist? Yeah, I think you can certainly say that I'm a feminist. You know, something that we have to consider is that the role of of women and the way that we treat women in society has been very much informed by patriarchal theocracy or, or theocratic thinking. And so that the church and the values of the church are very much part of the foundation in which we view these type of gender binaries in our society. And we see this time and time again throughout history is that women in particular are kind of forced into an oppressive role and that is something that is promoted by the church. Like, you know, women can't assume positions of power in the Catholic Church still today, or the idea that there should be a good wife, or or the kind of fetishization of the mother role of, of women being producers of, of children is something that is is very much rooted in religion. And so and you also see the persecution of women who don't conform to those beliefs as being uh, vilified as as being satanic or witches. And I think the perception of witchcraft is, is you can't deny that that is tied to the devil, historically speaking at least, because witches are seen as some of the handmaidens of the devil. And so you have this construction of inequality and oppression of both genders, quite frankly, but certainly the foundation of witches in the church. And so I think that in saying that I identify as a Satanist, is a way of countering that narrative and also asking people to clearly question what does it mean to be good or evil or what does God and, and the devil actually mean? And to me, that's very powerful. The way that I personally came to Satanism is, is through the church. And the church was saying that if you are lustful or you have envy or hate in you that you are of the devil. And I realized that those were actually very human emotions and, and very natural. And so the church is actually asking us to, to conform to extremely unnatural behaviors. And so I found myself identifying much, much more with the figure of Lucifer than God. The original rebel. It's funny, isn't it? Because within Christianity, at least, and I think it leaks into, you know, all of Western culture, even today, like you say, like witches are the devil's handmaidens. Lilith was like the original representation of, of women and even Eve, like that continued. It, it really seems the message is that women and the devil are aligned. They have a special relationship. Women are of the devil. Like we get these messages all the time, but at the same time, you know, you're being told, but don't do that. That's your essential nature, but also try to avoid it. So all you're really doing is kind of reclaiming that that message, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there is, I think there's something important to recognize, though, that modern interpretations of Satanism has been typically in the realm of, of a male-dominated organizations. If you think about Aleister Crowley, who maybe didn't identify as a Satanist, but certainly paved the way for the Church of Satan and Anton LaVey. And if you look at, you know, black metal bands today, which 
like Watain, for example, who, who kind of celebrate the devil, you often still see women playing a submissive role or, or, or acting as even furniture for rituals. And to me, that's um, somewhat of an inversion of, of the true history of Satanism as being pejoratively affecting women and, and queer people, for example, and people of color for that matter. And so the kind of exoticization of, of the devil characteristics and, and the power being exclusively granted to, to men in this kind of cultural era of celebrating Satanism as it kind of grew to be in the 60s and 70s is something that I think is a perversion. And, and I think that it is time that women actually take charge and identify as a Satanist because we have every right to. And um, it is not something that exclusively belongs to kind of this male occultist's viewpoint. That is such an important point. And we see that across, you know, not just Satanism, but all of the occult that we have these like historically feminized practices and belief systems that really, at least in the last century, was really strongly co-opted by rich white men. And they've become these prominent spokespersons and skewed, you know, the image or the point of, of something like Satanism. So, I mean, this is a big question, but just to kind of begin to unpack it, like, how would you say that that, that kind of does need to be counted by women today in practice? Well, I think that there is, I mean, there's a, a large movement of, of people practicing witchcraft today. And I think there is some aversion to the relationship between the devil and, and witches. You know, we can't deny that there is a historical connection there. And so I think acknowledging that Satan still has a lot of power culturally in informing a worldview and perspective about sexuality and about gender, that it is important that we at least make that acknowledgement and then understand kind of how our personal practice and philosophy and spirituality fits within that framework. And I think that there is an aggression towards women who are practicing Satanism today as being distorting some type of quite frankly, a, a fictional history that, that doesn't actually exist because satanic practice in, in the open is, is relatively new. But I think that we have to be able to at least situate ourselves within that narrative and then decide how we identify with it rather than kind of allowing this male-dominated narrative take hold of, of what it means to be a Satanist or who the devil represents. Hi there, it's me again. We'll hear more from Jex in just a second, but at this point in the conversation, I want to tell you a little story about just how intense fearing an omniscient, theist, biblical version of Satan can be, whether or not you're a believer. So when I was a kid, I watched The Exorcist a little too young and I had just been baptized Catholic at the age of 11 or 12. And it was really a bid to get into a better high school, in my mum's opinion. So I had just learned the Lord's Prayer and I'd become obsessed with the idea that the devil was trying to possess me by making me say it backwards in my mind. Retrospectively, it's clear that this was the compulsive behaviour of a traumatised child. But when I told my mum about it, her hardcore Christianity really showed. You better pray really hard, she said. The devil appears disguised in many different forms. I could be him right now. Super comforting. She also told me to say, get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, anytime I felt his presence. You can imagine how the next six months to a year were for me. But the thing was, I didn't even really believe in the devil. I kind of knew he was an amalgamation of all my fears, even then. 
I was exposed to many other belief systems at a young age, including my father's Buddhism and pagan spirituality. So why was I so scared of the devil, despite all evidence to the contrary? Great question. And guess what? I don't have an answer. I'm just putting the question out there because I've seen so many of us still carrying it around unanswered. Why are we so scared of something we know we invented? And who wins while we're busy being scared? And now it's back to Jex to hear how Satanism informs her feminism, her activism, her art, and how deeply its critics impact her life. And as an artist and a writer, you talk about things like moral legislation and the ways that Christianity and the patriarchy bring religious oppression into our daily lives and our choices and freedoms, especially as women and femmes and people of color. So personally for you, like, why is this kind of activism, defending reproductive rights and so on, so crucial for you as a Satanist and also just, you know, right now at this point that we're at in history? Yeah, well, I think that religion is uh, is fundamental. I mean, all religion is is fundamentally tied to power, and so we have in 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 the United States, our our government is is divided on religious lines and religious lines in terms of uh, whether or not a particular party is appealing to religious voters. And you know, I think that we can't deny that that's extremely powerful, especially because you know we re- we can't even get anybody on any party elected if they don't profess to belong to a particular mainstream f- faith. And so what we have here is we don't really have a separation of church and state. So we have the philosophical and moral beliefs of the church being legislated by people who are doing so to appease religious voters so that they can stay in power. And they do so at the cost of their constituents and the people in their communities that they claim to represent. So for example, when it comes to reproductive rights and it comes to things like abortion access or access to birth control contraception and things like that, um, we are talking about a health issue and we are also talking about a personal issue when it comes to family planning, which which ultimately is is an economic and health issue, I think. And instead we are legislating on positions and opinions of the church. Now, of course, people are allowed to have moral or ethical opinions about anything that they want. But the problem is when this seeps into the way that we govern and the way that we govern is causing actually much more harm to our society than good, all in the name of of maintaining power and wealth and influence. And so I think that we see that there's real moral and ethical issues constantly in, in our government. And, and, and so we, we can't just discount the fact that that would exist regardless of whether or not people were professing a particular faith. But certainly I think that there tends to be uh, inclination towards favoring Christian supremacy in our governments. And in particular, in doing so, it's, it's oppressive to to women and into families in general and to our access to particular liberties that allow us to to live freely. And so those things should be challenged, I think. And, and one way of doing so, I think, is using the same spiritual framework that Christianity functions within and saying that if you grant exclusive rights to Christians, for example, then you must also grant those to, of course, people of a Jewish faith or, or Muslim faith, but also Satanists. And I think that that really situates itself very well in, in saying that there are people who have different beliefs that deserve to be represented by the people that are elected to do so. And we cannot favor the opinions of the church and we cannot legislate on that moral value for everybody because um, essentially we will then be perpetuating systems of abuse and, uh, and depression that has been going on for hundreds of years. 
And in the work that you've done, that as you say, you've said, well, if these things are going to be influenced by these beliefs, then why not Satanism as well? In doing this kind of activism, I can't imagine the reactions, but how safe are you in your daily life? Like, what's the level of, of danger that you have to be faced with in, in being a public figure in this way? I think that when I started speaking publicly about Satanism, I, I did not fully recognize the amount of fear and anger that would inspire in complete strangers. Uh, and so um, it is very difficult for me to even engage in performance art that's announced in the public in advance because the Catholic Church will often protest work that I do, or even white supremacists or, or proud boy types have um, attacked me because of being a feminist and, and also challenging kind of the Christian worldview that they situate themselves very comfortably within. I get death threats at almost a weekly basis, but I also think that that is, is proof that there is something very valuable going on here and, and challenging people's worldview can be very frightening I think, to people. So there's something to be said with how powerful that can be, but it is not very safe, <laughs> to, to be honest. It is not a safe place to, to be in. Yeah. But that perspective of how threatening that it must be and therefore like how powerful it is, I can imagine that you strike me as somebody who is so strong that if you maintain that perspective, it's kind of, it's worth it, I guess, for what you believe in and for your art and for, you know, what you're here to do, basically. So, yeah, I just want to, like, acknowledge that because I think it's something that not many people have to deal with. And the people that do are women, people of color, queer people, marginalized people that are brave enough to kind of be speaking out right now, especially so. It's really interesting, though, because I do think that there is a perception that in having a different idea that you are an aggressor. And that's something I think that we see across all social justice movements currently, that people feel like they're under attack, but we're merely asking for space to exist and a reconsideration of accepted norms. And so I think that that is actually what's so interesting about the kind of the anger and violence that it inspires is that it is not as a result of asking someone to, to change how they fundamentally think or what they believe, but to make room for other ways of thinking. Mm, yeah, especially from groups that are actually actively asking people to change what how they live and what they believe. Um, so your, your performance art and your rituals as activism, um, if I can call it that, they often come with satanic visuals and they can challenge the respectability politics of more mainstream forms of feminism and, and quote-unquote acceptable feminist activism or even acceptable forms of, of Satanism. Why is that so important to you? Well, when I develop a performance piece or a form of political theater in the public sphere, I'm often thinking about the ways in which we want like the result, the ultimate result that we are hoping to to get. So in private rituals, we often try to inspire people to kind of feel their own power and agency in, in challenging oppressive systems around them. In doing so, we create an environment that's very contemporary to, to those feelings. So um, we will often invert somewhat of a traditional political rally or political Christian rally that espouses a lot of violent rhetoric and has a lot of religious iconography to promote a political message. And so we try to do this in a way that promotes our own message of liberation from this kind of systematic oppression and using some of the same visual cues that people automatically recognize and associate with, for example, people in power. 
and, and also ask people to reconsider their comfort level with things such as male nudity and sexuality. And, and that goes the same in, in the public sphere, that we, we engage in performative work that is, is somewhat shocking. And the work that we're doing is not intentionally shocking just to be shocking. I think the performances that we've done outside of Planned Parenthood as a, as a response to uh, anti-choice organizers is, is very much intended to hold a mirror up to work that they're doing. So I think that we often dismiss the fact that, you know, there are people standing outside of abortion clinics with their children holding, you know, distorted images. And we kind of don't think about this anymore as something that's absurd, or it may just kind of like make us feel a little upset. But I think that we need to actually take a moment and realize that how performative this form of theater of the on the and the side of the anti-choice movement is and how grotesque and absurd. And so um, we could counter with kind of a logical narrative and, and distribute literature and pamphlets that's um, informative. And I certainly think there's a place for that kind of activism. But I also think that we have, uh, we, we must at least acknowledge the kind of um, absurd actions that are going on in this, in this movement in particular, and also in the religious realm. So I think that a lot of our work does not rely on tradition intentionally and, and, and tries to be responsive to the, the realities that we face every day and take them very seriously and then um, respond in a way that feels empowering and informative and, and at least puts people in a crisis point of considering what they actually believe. Mm, yeah. So if somebody's listening to this and it's hitting a nerve in a way that makes them feel like, oh, maybe I should look into becoming a Satanist version of the feminist that I already am. What advice do you have for people to explore this, especially as it relates to feminism or how we live and what we speak up about in a public sense? You know, I get this question a lot, and I don't think that there is a definitive text um, or resource in this way. Uh, I do think that if we understand the narrative of the devil in a biblical sense and understanding that the devil is a figure that often offers common sense and logic, you know, when you see um, Jesus who's starving in the desert and the devil appears and offers him water, you know, we see this in, in the church's eyes as a view of temptation, but really what we, I think we can logically say that that's very reasonable. In the same when um, Eve is offered an opportunity to kind of understand the world and not be forced to to serve a tyrannical God that dictates one world worldview, I think that we have a, a picture of the devil. And, um, but I do think that there is, there are, uh, there was a, a, an early movement um, by anarchists, and Emma Goldman is, was part of this movement, and there's a text called Lucifer, the light bearer. And, um, and these are political texts that start to point to the devil as a liberating hero of the people. And, and, and in doing so, I think that we start to understand and situate ourselves as satanic feminists in the political community and political environment. And so um, I think just reading uh, texts that talk about Lucifer from the political standpoint and from early anarchist writers of the 20th century and then also, again, culturally, how we view the devil um, biblically is is one way in understanding satanic feminism. Mm. Yeah, I've never heard about that link between Emma Goldman and early anarchists and satanic philosophy. That's like so interesting to me. <laughs> what do you kind of wish that you were asked more about? Well, I think that it is important to consider the different ways that we engage in uh, politics and in our personal spiritual practice. I think that, um, you know, I have a personal practice that engages in ritual and, and, and meditation and writing, of course, uh, but I also, it takes a very different form in, in the public sphere. And I think that 
um, there is no such thing as being apolitical. And, uh, and a lot of people try to, to isolate their spiritual or religious practice from politics. And I think that that is, is short-sighted. And so understanding the ways in which we, we know ourselves and, and um, our own moral and ethical pathway and the ways in which we are compelled to engage politically in our own communities in any form. I do, I do think that any action is good action. So just from organizing a group of people to, to, to read a text together, for example, or to go to a city council meeting or to um, show up to support a number of the groups that are representing um, reproductive access, for example, or immigrant rights, for example, or labor rights, all of these things that are fundamentally tied to the systematic powers that are influenced by the church and by people who seek to oppress us, I think is tied to our spiritual practice and something that I, I hope that people um, think, think hard about and, and um, consider working within the public sphere of, of activism as well. Awesome. Well, Jax, thank you so, so much for coming and talking to us today. Thank you for having me. So could you tell I really enjoyed that interview? It definitely made me think differently about Satanism, and I didn't have that much against it to begin with, to be honest. So, is Satanism feminist? Well, I would say in principle, absolutely. In the wrong hands, which, let's face it, is most hands, it could be just as oppressive as any other religion. After all, it's man-made, and it's new. But you could say that some of its values are as old as Greek myth itself, and that's worth talking about. If you're listening to this and you had a traditional religious upbringing, you might hear a voice in your head that says, but what if you're wrong? What if the devil really is evil incarnate and this is all a trick that he's pulling on you to make you think that it's an interesting feminist pursuit? Well, clearly I have no way of knowing for sure. <laughs> and I might suggest that if anyone's playing tricks, it's the systems of dominance that would rather have us live in fear of invisible evil forces and stay small than make our own decisions about our minds, bodies, and yeah, even our souls, be they damned or otherwise. <laughs> If you liked this, the debut episode of Beyond Belief, you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It would mean the world to me and to the feminist dark lord if you did. And you can also share your thoughts on this episode by DMing me on Instagram at jericho.mandyburr. Tune in next week when I chat to a very fascinating, fabulous woman about talking to dead people. Beyond Belief is a Wonder Media Network production recorded on Tongva land and produced and edited by Liz Smith with support from Edie Allard. Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to uplifting underrepresented voices based in New York City. 101 women currently serve in the House of Representatives. That's a record. But still, women make up just 23.2% of the governing body. That's where Women Belong in the House comes in. From Wonder Media Network, host Jenny Kaplan seeks to understand the state of gender representation in office and asks how Congress would change if it looked more like the people it represents. Jenny speaks with women in the House of Representatives to learn about what it's like to serve in a place that wasn't built for you. Representatives open up about how it feels to be part of a diverse coalition and why it's so hard and necessary to work across the aisle. Listen and subscribe to Women Belong in the House wherever you listen to podcasts.